Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 110 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain. I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Andy Stewart. And joining us this evening, the prodigal son returns. You know him best as the director of The Perished <laughs> and the man behind the YouTube channel Let's Survive, Paddy Plays. And from the Jason Goes to Hell episode of this show, it's a warm welcome back to Mr. Paddy Murphy. Paddy, hello! Woo-hoo! I'm so glad to be back. There <laughs> I is. wasn't bugging Andy that much, honestly. <laughs> Paddy, it's been a year. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Uh, it's been a hell of a year. Has it, has it really only been mm. a year? Because from March, that's felt like another two years anyway. So, <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Um, we can get into all the kind of various things that you've been up to because I don't think it's fair to say that it's been like a fairly active time for you. I don't like sitting still. So yeah, as soon as it was like, you have to sit still, my brain was like, we can't be doing that now. Yeah, so. you're like, am I fuck going to sit still? <laughs> you're not the boss of me. Um, but uh, first and foremost, Paddy, um, you have gone for a slightly more niche choice this time than uh, Jason Gostel. Um, you have taken us back to 1987 with uh, Ghoulies 2. I sure have, Mitch. And having rewatched it again today, I am very happy with this choice. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that one of us is. Um, so, um, <laughs> Paddy, right, okay. Pretty much as soon as your episode and Jason Goes to Hell is done, we were like, okay, this was a blast. Obviously, Paddy's coming back. And you were like, mm. resolutely, you were like, next time I'm doing Ghoulies 2. <laughs> Pretty much. And he's stuck by that. He's stuck by that. The yeah. amount of times that I've spoken to Paddy <laughs> independent of this podcast, and he has said to me, uh, Ghoulies 2, right? Coming back. Do Ghoulies 2. Yeah, sure, sure, Paddy, sure. Like, yeah, sure. Over more than one different beard in different places, you have said, I'm coming back, I'm doing Ghoulies 2. So, Paddy, why this one? Why did this crystallize so clearly in your mind to be the one that you wanted to do when you came back? <laughs> I, I had three choices going into our first episode that I, I presented to kind of like Andy. It was like Jason, Ghoulies 2, and Carnosaur. And then I went back and rewatched Carnosaur. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, not a hope. I can't even defend this. Not in a million years. Um, but at the same time, I rewatched Ghoulies 2. And I remembered that, like, I saw this when I was about eight years old. Eight or ten. Mm. Like, very young. Me and my friend, there was, like, a small little local video shop. We'd go and rent stuff from it, like, on the sly. I remember us picking this up. And it's really funny because it's a kid's movie. Like, it really is. When you actually... I know it's got, like... I was going to say it's got violence and stuff. But, like, it's pretty tame. It's very much feels like a lot of those kind of... It's a Gremlins knockoff. Like, we, we can just say mm, that outright. Yeah. I spent a lot of time trying to track down the first Ghoulies because I wanted to see how uh, it tied into this one. Oh. <laughs> I think yeah, that's really a good juncture then to preface this by saying that I haven't watched the first one. Um, that was going to be the next question out my mouth. Uh, so, yeah, good to know. I, you know. You know what? You know what? I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> what I did instead was I read the Wikipedia synopsis of Ghoulies 1 <laughs> before I watched Ghoulies 2. That's all that's needed. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not proud of that, but like, uh, but that was my that was my level of prep that I did. Let me ask you this much: Do you feel like you've missed much? Perhaps I'll find out as we go on. But like, instinctively, no. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Let's see, um, Paddy, uh, you've been on before. You listen, you know what's happening next. Andy, do we have thirty seconds on the clock? Yes, sir. I would like to think so, Paddy. For the benefit of anyone who is crazy enough to be listening in this <laughs> evening without having watched Ghoulies Two, are you primed and ready to give us your best thirty seconds synopsis? Not even remotely, but let's do this. Fantastic. Oh, That's good. the spirit. <laughs> That's the cavalier philosophy we like to hear about. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, go. So a priest lobs a bag full of ghoulies into a vat of toxic waste that's in a garage for no reason. Uh, these ghoulies hitch a ride with a traveling carnival to a thing called Satan's Den. They start killing people randomly because that's what they do. Apparently, we have a guy, who, a drunk magician played by Royal Dano, who is getting cut of his questioning whether he can still do magic and stuff. Uh, carnival goes to shit. Big guy comes, or Harden, the guy who runs the carnival, is going to fire everyone unless things pick up. And time oh god damn it <laughs> mm, that's a midland performance i would say yeah 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 there was ample opportunity for you just to stop there paddy when it actually felt like you'd done i know enough I, I felt like i had to get royal dano in and then i was like crap i haven't mentioned germain that's the problem it's it's trying to you flesh got greedy. It out too much got greedy. you got greedy you got faced with your own hubris and, uh, yeah. <laughs> the lights the lights shone too bright <laughs> um, uh, almost inevitably this was a first watch for me Andy your hmm. experience uh, your prior affiliation with the Ghoulies franchise care to expand my prior affiliation with the Ghoulies franchise Mitch began uh, with Ghoulies 1 mm-hmm. I was very much chronological in my consumption of the Ghoulies films okay and the first one didn't really do it for me much not even a little bit not even a little bit okay no, same. no, and I think a big part of it actually was down in the marketing of the first one, which had the fish ghouli coming out of the toilet, and then there actually had not been any scene like that in the film. I think I was led to believe that this film was something that it wasn't. Uh, mm. And then when I saw two ghoulies creeping around a toilet on the front cover of Ghoulies 2, I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be burned twice. <laughs> but Fool me once, shame on me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I took the gamble, and it didn't come this time from the man with the van. I was a slightly older. Okay. Um, and I think this time it came from a shop that used to be in Bishop Briggs in my hometown. It was called Videodrome. That would have been maybe, uh, I don't know, 10, 11. Okay. Yeah. And do you remember it fondly from then? I remember it more fondly than I did Ghoulies. I actually think that this film... I've just got to come straight out of the gate. It's not a masterpiece. <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, I mean the, films on here, the films on here are so seldom are. <laughs> yeah, we've done some masterpieces. We've done Cruising, we've done The Ninth Configuration, and now you can add into that pantheon of great films, Ghoulies 2. Sure. Um... <laughs> But it is far superior to the first film. It's much more the film I thought Ghoulies was going to be when I saw it. So, like, a little bit more capery. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was actually a, a, something that was levied against Ghoulies pretty much the whole time, is that Ghoulies takes itself surprisingly seriously. Sure, okay. <laughs> I'm saying sure, like I've seen it, and like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, very... yeah, I, I read the Wikipedia oh, synopsis. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Andy. I'm very conversant with that, I'll have you know. <laughs> I, I was going to say it when you were talking about Ghoulies 1 earlier, that it's just, it's it's fucking deadpan. It's so pole-faced. And you're like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's the most stupid thing, but they're trying to treat it super seriously. Yeah. The pole face claxing going off there, Mitch, Absolutely. but this time it wasn't for me. Yep, did not go unnoticed. Did not go unnoticed. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said it, by the way, when I was talking about being too serious. Yeah, I could tell when you swear. I could tell when you swear from it. We've been doing this for too long. <laughs> 
I want to just jump in because uh, we open on a lorry on its way to Satan's Den, which I assumed was a carnival, but is actually like a subset carnival attraction. Well, the the van is Satan's Den. It just folds down into the it attraction. Just, it just folds down, <laughs> of course. Yes, sorry. How silly of me. Um, uh, I think it's fair to say that on first impression, this isn't immediately apparent. No, no, no. no. We do meet Ned and his nephew Larry at this point. They talk a lot about full moons and uh, generic creepy things. Uh, we magic. Under- magic, yeah. I don't know, necessarily know if there's too much more to say about this. There's an allusion to the fact uh, Ned says something about the fact that accountants will be taking over the carnival. Yeah, uh, Ned is... Uh, drunk constantly over the runtime or certainly over his runtime in the film yes and uh yeah he does mention that at some point there's going to be a big day in greenville tomorrow uh which they're looking forward to but they feel that that good day might be scuppered by the arrival of an accountant of some sort presumably then the the carnival is in some kind of financial trouble Mm. which may also explain why he's pissed all the time Potentially, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's his livelihood, man. You know. Yeah, you know, he's hiding from his problems, ostriching. Yeah, that is one potential way of looking at it. My other thought is that at this stage in his life, I was wondering if Royal Dano was just drunk and said all the time, and they were like, "Look, it's a character trait. We're just going to go with it." Sometimes I think that's maybe easier. I think I, I get the feeling that Robert Shaw did the same thing in Jaws. Yeah, yeah, that's the vibe I get. I'm like, I don't think he's pretending to be drunk. I think he's drunk, and they're just like, <laughs> "Yeah, the characters are drunk. That makes sense." <laughs> There's a moment. Uh, where they're talking on the CB radios in the truck and it's like uh, Satan's Den calling Aladdin's harem (laughs) and it's only now that I realise that Aladdin's harem must be the name of that belly dancing act oh okay yeah that makes sense (laughs) that adds up that adds up Jesus Christ man honestly leave me to my own devices and you would have had a long fucking stand before I connected those dots Um, after what starts to feel like an obligatory, very long opening credit sequence. Um, well, I'd like to take a minute, Mitch, actually, before we battle on absolutely. to talk about some of the, the stuff that comes up in these credits, because there's some pretty <laughs> sure. interesting things here. Directed by Albert Band, right who, away, yeah. uh, who directed Zoltan, Hound of Dracula, and produced Troll and Terror Vision. Okay, cool. Yeah. Terror Vision, Mitch, a former Mitch's, Mitch's pitch. Pitches, yep. We also have effects by the late, great John Carl oh, Buechler. So good. Buechler is amazing, man. Some great cast here as well. You had William Butler, who was in Friday the 13th Part 7, and Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead. Mm, yeah. And Sasha Jensen as well, who was in Halloween 4. Okay. Oh, yeah. Jeez, but, that's where I... Re- okay. I'm yeah. connecting dots now that I never... And they, I would have seen these around the same time. That's amazing. Crucially, though, the most impressive thing, and I think it's something to bear in mind the whole time when you're watching Ghoulies 2, is the fact that it was shot by Sergio Salvati. I see that you all know. Yeah, we're talking. all... Wait, uh, they're Sergio Savai. <laughs> <laughs> the very same match. Uh, cinematographer on Zombie Flesh Eaters, The Beyond, City of the Living oh, Dead, wow. The Black Cat, okay. House by the Cemetery, Cellar Dweller and Puppet Master, also for Empire Pictures. Incredible. So, like, a lot of Fulci stuff. Fulci's best chunk of five yeah. films. I would agree. Um, yeah, also, I was obviously being facetious. I knew that you were about to drop real knowledge on us there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I knew this was going to point more to my ignorance than it was anything else. And, of course, produced by Charles Band for Empire Pictures, who, like I just said, did Cellar Dweller and Puppet Master. Actually, I remember years ago, I think, um, when I was much younger, and I found out that Barbara Crampton once did a Playboy spread, and mm-hmm. I was able to kind of track it down. Mm-hmm. She's accompanied in these tasteful photos um, with characters from the Empire Pictures films. So there's one with the cellar dweller and there's one where she's, I think he's lying on a bed and she's surrounded by the ghoulies. Oh, no oh, way. Man. 
Yeah, she's just naked, isn't it? This, I didn't see those when I was 9 or 10. That could have been a life-changing thing, actually. I think I was a little <laughs> bit older when I saw them, yeah. if I'm honest. Um, I think that was it. The internet days, I don't know if... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I was lucky enough to happen upon a particularly niche <laughs> issue of Playboy in a bush. <laughs> it's not one of the yeah, it's not one of the ones that, that was hidden under my dad's bed, I can tell you that much. <laughs> but, uh, and also just one thing quickly to jump in and say is that obviously, I mean, just to connect the dots on, on the Albert Band thing as well, is that obviously Charles Band is his son. Yes. And Richard Band, who I don't think did the he didn't do the score for this though, did he? he no, he did, didn't. No, no, no. Yeah, he usually did a lot of the Empire picture. I, I was waiting at the end and I was like, oh, I thought he would have, but he didn't. Yeah, I think Richard Band did the reanimator score. He did. And he did a lot of Puppet Master ones, I think, as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, the guy who did the, the score for this is called something like Fuzzy Wumbo or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something. Like, that makes sense. Like, I did, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on what the real name is, but I'm happy with just installing Fuzzy Wumbo as the truth. Did you not see that? I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> um,. However, I feel like we've spent too long talking about the credits. Sorry. Straight after this, we see um, a feverish man, a priest apparently, Barry. Who looks exactly like Barry Chuckle. <laughs> yeah, it does look quite a lot like Barry Chuckle. Um, he's carrying a sack with a hitherto unidentified creature in it pursued by three hooded figures. Eventually, it loses them and takes cover in a gas station, which is actually very fortuitous for his purposes because uh, this gas station also has an industrial drum full of miscellaneous creepy liquid that you can cast this uh, burlap sack creature into. Yeah, did, did you notice that those uh, mysterious figures in red they seem to be just carrying sticks? Yeah. Uh, they are not moving with urgency. No. No, lackadaisical, I think. And I feel like this is the only mildly tangential connection to the first movie. There was like a cult in the first movie. Uh, sure, is... I remember. <laughs> but like, you don't it's have... all coming back to me now. <laughs> you don't have to remember. Like, this is literally like... They just show you that these red hooded figures never show up in the movie again or anything. They're just like meant to be the loosest possible way of tying these two movies together. But I love that toxic vat thing because I'm just like, why is it in a garage? It says it's a solvent. What kind of fucking solvent is that? Yeah, well, yeah, I've got, I've got it here as a convenient frothing drum of solvent in inverted <laughs> commas. Ah, you, you, you do wonder what goes on in this garage before that's just there. Well, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be left unattended. I I, I completely agree. <laughs> it dissolves a man in thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we soon find this out because um just as he's getting ready to uh, cast this unholy creature into the unspecified void, another creature crashes through the window and knocks the man slash priest uh, into the vat. And... Yeah, well we're talking about lookalikes. This uh, bat ghoulie here looks a lot like Michael Chiklis. <laughs> get that <laughs> yeah we're, we're getting to like where we get our first real look at the ghoulies and i actually i have a note made here that just like straight away when i, I saw them again on this watch i was like john charles buchler was just an awesome special effects designer because even though these are yeah. kind of cheap looking that you can tell they had a very low budget he always made stuff look really unique anyway yeah and they've got very clear personalities here uh, for my purposes i will refer to them as fish who's a little yes. green guy same cat rat okay. and flying and really. flying okay you're happy with that um oh, this... and there's also the toad <laughs> toad okay because i have him listed as a gator goody um, Ah, okay it's yeah that's the only one i think that everybody i've seen people call that one the dinosaur goody 
Which I'm like, what? Oh, okay. Flying <laughs> feels God's like, name. Feels like a stretch. Yeah, definitely. But that one doesn't have as clear a, like, uh, the cat, you know straight away, all those ones, because they just seem like, yeah, the noises they make, I have a note way further down that, like, I actually think the sound design's really good. Yet again, their personalities are really clear, even in sound design. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's fair. Uh-huh. They do enough on a like non-visual level to separate them and give them kind of like real distinct personas. I think that's a cool thing. Uh, the Satan's Den truck arrives right as this is going on. I wrote at this point because, you know, I didn't want to make any assumptions. I said, um, uh, creatures, presumably ghoulies, rise from the liquid. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine at the halfway mark, uh, there was like a moment where a character went, oh my God, they're ghoulies. And it was something totally different. And you were like, <laughs> what the fuck? Are- Wait a minute, who are those little guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Presumably ghoulies, I love it. <laughs> well you're right Mitch you're right in your assumptions like to your point about what you were saying about um, about practical effects and the looks of these things in a note that sounds very much like a millennial complimenting another millennial I have written I like their aesthetic <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say that I actually quite like as, as bad as it kind of looks I quite like the stop motion stuff when they're going out to the truck agreed um, oh yeah yeah. I, I, it's such it's it's like so much that 80s cliche stop motion like but it's again working with like we know that Empire Pictures didn't throw a lot of money at these projects generally like not comparatively to other stuff and yeah it's just it's a little bit of creativity and ingenuity to make it work doesn't look great but it's got charm yeah. <laughs> do you know what though it's an incredibly bold thing for them to try to do in a film like Goodies too. true I mean Gremlins didn't even really try to do it that much and that had a much bigger budget um, and they didn't try to do a lot of kind of like moving, walking, full body gremlin shots because it would look like this. Mm. <laughs> I actually think that the scene in Gremlins where just after they first multiply in the swimming pool and then you see them walking along the street en masse, yeah. I think it looks fucking terrible. Yeah. Actually, it's far and away the worst shot in the film. I'd agree totally. Because uh, as you say, typically these kind of shots, especially at this time period, pre-digital and VFX and everything, didn't really land. But uh, I think Albert Bang came from that era of like, you know, Harry Housen was like, you know, a big influence for him. So I think stop motion mm. uh, and stop motion, it ages, but it's also kind of timeless. You kind of get away with it, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, actually. At this point, um, exterior, Satan's Den, day. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's important to say that the ghoulies hitch a ride in the Satan's Den truck, You're which I don't right. know if anyone noticed, seems to have a painting of the Tarn Man from Return of the Living Dead on the side. Ah. I did not notice. I just had made a note of saying they hitch a ride in the truck for narrative reasons in inverted commas. 100%. Yeah, well, it would well, have been boring if they just decided that they were going to continue the good work that's been done at this petrol station. Yeah, I like, if they, if, like if they just wistfully watched the truck pull off into the distance and it was just like, directed by Albert Burns. <laughs> I'm sure there are detractors out there that would be like, I wanted that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we cut very much, uh, very abruptly to the next day. We see uh, Satan's Den kind of in full swing. And uh, we also meet a couple of key characters here. Uh, Sir Nigel Pennyweight, a denizen of the park <laughs> in his own words. Played by Phil Fondacaro, who's just... He's actually... I actually think he brings the most fun and gravitas to this film. He is the standout MVP of the movie, uh, hands down. I think he's great. Yeah, I know. He's always great. Like He was great when he popped up in Sabrina. He's been great in everything else he's ever been in. Yeah. I think you mentioned Willow earlier, Paddy, when yeah. we were talking off mic. And of course, Mitch, let's not forget, Garbage Pail Kids. Garbage Pail <laughs> Kids. He's under yeah. one of those big heads. Greaser Greg. Greaser Greg. Somewhere, somewhere <laughs> Sam Asher is smiling right now. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah. yeah, he's he's hanging around at the front of the uh, at the front of Satan's den, and he has an exchange with an important-looking man called Philip Harden. As it turns out, of course, the carnival is owned by the Harden dynasty, um, <laughs> and we come to learn that Philip is here to audit the various assets of the carnival to figure out which ones I, are and aren't profitable. I thought you were going to say we come to learn that Philip is an absolute knob the second he appears on screen, and I was going to agree wholeheartedly with you. My note says smug yuppie prick. <laughs> Yeah, I said every 80s Wall Street business-driven dickhead. That's what I wrote. So. 100%. 100%. Like an absolute greed is good guy. If you diluted Gordon Gecko, you'd get all these other 80s characters that are just like miniature Gordon Geckos. <laughs> yeah. We come to learn a little bit more about uh, what he's here to do. After we see Larry, the nephew from the pre-credits, trying to ask out Nicole, who I would say is arguably our female protagonist in what I would describe as a limited field. Agreed, yeah. Totally yeah. There agrees. is that other one who clearly fancies Larry, but he obviously thinks she's crazy because, she, well, she is. <laughs> oh, yeah, I the, the one that's like an over-caffeinated Molly Ringwald. Yeah, she's like, ba-boom! Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I, I am historically terrible at realising when I'm being flirted with, but I think I would have noticed this one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Philip has come here to audit. He's here to rule with an iron fist, crunch the numbers. Anything that feels like it's not turning a trade, not turning a profit for the hardened dynasty will be crushed under the wheels of capitalism. <laughs> Yep. And he's also channeling all them Topher Grace, Eric Foreman vibes as well. 100% um, get that. Definitely. <laughs> like when he appeared on screen this time watching it, I was like, wait a minute. Did Topher Grace go back in time and appear in this fucking movie? Yeah, I hear I'd that. go back in time and direct this. <laughs> nice. It's 20 minutes longer and it's all festering sores. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a sick bond or if it's just funny. Or if it's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do find out at this point as well that Satan's Den is going to be replaced with mud wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta give the people it's what, what they the want. It's what the people want. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Straight off the back of this conversation, we see Ned, Larry, and Nigel Pennyweight himself having a brainstorm about the future of Satan's Den. Uh, Ned is identifiably struggling with this. I say he's identifiably struggling with this. He'll come to struggle with it far more identifiably as we go on. Mm. Yeah, by the way, there's some cool stuff here. It's really the only moment where there might be any kind of shred of a message to the film. And there's some pretty cool chat about how jaded horror audiences are in general mm. whether it's films or whether it's like scare attractions like this yeah where they're talking yeah. about how the kids are so used to seeing decapitations and whatever that like these kind of scare attractions are just going the way of the dodo yeah absolutely well, i think that's quite cool uh, and it would have been nice to i don't know how you continue that thread throughout the events of ghoulies too but <laughs> it would have been nice to just dig into that a little bit if that is indeed the intended message just to make it a little clearer agreed yeah it, w- it may have been nice to see them lean into that a little more maybe maybe now you're clamoring for the andy stewart version of ghoulies too <laughs> Yeah, there's a little bit of narrative nuance, you know? But yeah. <laughs> um, Along with your sores, yeah. Absolutely, Fair. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, at this point, we meet Patty, a woman of many suitors, yes, apparently. Yeah, true. The way she was introduced, I kind of was like, because I'm terrible at clocking these things, I was like, oh, she will presumably be one of the protagonists and definitely not um, be in this for one scene. Yeah, I don't know whether that's uh, something to commend it on or what, but like that maybe it is a little bit of a misdirect and they kind of set her up as the, the lead and then mm. not long after, the ghoulies have their wicked way. 
Yeah, I've got to say, around about this point, I think it's hard to say, but it feels like my version is pretty heavily cut because I remember more gore than there actually is in the version I've got. Okay. I've got an old MGM double edition that has Ghoulies and Ghoulies 2 right. on the one DVD. Okay. Like, I haven't like sprung for the 88 films Blu-rays yet. Yeah. Uh, pa- um, uh, Paddy, what version were you dipping into for your rewatch here? I just got the stock. Like I have this really crappy, uh, I think I got it in like, 2005 or something. I don't even know what brand it is, but it's just like a shitty DVD of it and has no special features. I think it has the music video for wasps theme song <laughs> on there but that's about it it's such bad quality as well i don't know whether that's the movie or this specific dvd version but like the audio is terrible it made it tricky to kind of appreciate because it was a rough watch interesting okay <laughs> i almost inevitably i watched the rental version and i was prime but i was just curious to see what angle we were all coming from here i don't know if there was a cut version i've never like looked into that i i, I have no clue if they, they heavily edited it or anything. I just remember it being slightly Gorier. more gory than certainly the version I watched in preparation for this. Okay, I mean, like I think that this feels like a sensible juncture to talk about what is effectively the first kind of like air quotes gore of this because Patty is getting ready to leave and uh, her cat runs away. Muffy. Uh, Muffy, yeah. Everybody's seen it. <laughs> yeah, who hasn't? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, she is kind of like a, she's kind of lured into Satan's Den by a ghoulie uh, making cat noises. Ghoulies at this point, much smarter than I assumed they'd be. For some reason, yes. I just thought that they would be like mischievous ghosts. I didn't expect them to have like opposable <laughs> thumbs and be skilled impressionists and be very handy with melee weapons and stuff like that. Like I had, I, like my preconceived notions of uh, ghoulies were shattered in this film. And I mean, the cat ghoulie, <laughs> the cat ghoulie in particular seems to have a fondness for blades. Like, any oh, blade right. he sees, he's just like, oh, give me that. Which here, I think he finds a razor blade, right? It, it, it finds an open razor lying <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, like, 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 a, like a Turkish barber open blade <laughs> yeah. job. Satan's Den, obviously, is safe as that petrol station earlier. I mean, I might as well just get it all in here rather than going on and on later. I just don't understand why all of these attractions are so dangerous. It just makes no sense <laughs> to me. Like, we have a working fucking guillotine. We have a working swinging blade. What if someone who's six foot three comes into that room? and gets hit by this, this swinging blade like I just cannot fathom I think that is the thing that pulls me out of this the most is those attractions I just don't uh, my brain boggles at why you would ever allow this like the innumerable very demonstrable threats to public safety <laughs> I can handle everything else, but that's where I draw the line in terms of realism with this movie. Is this where Ghoulies 2 just gets a little bit too silly for your liking? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) At this point, we see Ned, good old Ned, good old alcoholic Ned, faced with this kind of, uh, his his livelihood disappearing before his eyes, to an audience of just himself, uh, tries to revive his old act, the great Fausto. This is very depressing. I feel like Ned's arc in general is very depressing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's an entirely tragic character. It's weird because, again, you also think that Ned and Larry are going to be your protagonists for the movie as well. Well, I did anyway. I believed, oh, they're in this at the end. Yeah, I had this uh, vision of a redemptive arc for Ned where he kind of, at the end, when the car drives away, Ned's in the car and he's sober uh, and he's happy. Yeah, he's seen his nephew get away from all this, and yeah, same, yeah. but that's not the film we get. <laughs> I really want to see the Andy Stewart version now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
one of the saddest parts of I think uh, Ned's arc is that he chants all of his great Fausto incantations and then pulls a ghoulie out of a hat and then starts to believe that he's summoned them yeah yeah um, like one quick thing is I think it can happen slightly before this but we have Ned proper humiliates Harden in front of everybody I think that happened before this I don't know where he just absolutely made shit of Harden and you're just kind of like oh dude bad idea you know, this smarmy prick is going to come for you and your ride now. That's one part that kind of jumped out to me. Um, I could be totally wrong, though, order-wise. If I am, I apologize. No, I think you're just about okay. This is simultaneously, like, quite sad because, obviously, he has, obviously, now been kind of imbued with these delusions of his own abilities. But also, it is nice to watch his faith be restored in magic. But I think it's quite bittersweet viewing for that reason. Like, the fact that he thinks that he summoned them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will also add that when he's doing his act and he's quite depressed... And he says, like, the great fucking Fausto. I was like, man, I would go see a magician called the great fucking Fausto. Stick that in a booster, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think the problem with being an alcoholic is that when you actually summon, like, monstrous demons, like, nobody's going to believe you, unfortunately. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. And that is perfectly illustrated (laughs) right here, where he stumbles and staggers off to try and find Larry or Nigel or anyone else that will give him the time of day Mm -hmm. uh, to explain to them that he's conjured up these demons from hell. Um, And sadly... he just comes across a bit mental yeah i mean like this is yeah. a little bit of a like drunk that cried ghouls situation like um <laughs> and you get the impression that this isn't the first time this has happened you know when like if he'd stutter downstairs being like i did it i did it coming <laughs> to the demons and you'd be like oh fuck's sake. <laughs> but look we all have that uncle okay to be fair <laughs> christmas dinner oh jesus christ you didn't summon demons sit the fuck back to the come on <laughs> look would you just very fucking good. rap it about uh, the demon very good granda very good <laughs> back, back in the car <laughs> would you like another bottle of jim beam come on sit down <laughs> <laughs> philip is looking to have a kind of business chat with nicole at this point tries to schedule business it in chat my whole... well exactly exactly <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly you couldn't see me making the air quotes here i shouldn't have done them it was a bad choice for an audio medium but um kind of under the pretense of um a business chat he's obviously looking to get in about with nicole here yeah, he's so nasty. He's so sleazy, man. I despise this dude. I think that's a good antagonist, though. I think you should hate an antagonist if they're kind of in a film like this where they are kind of stereotypes or cliches. They're not like three-dimensional characters that have a lot of backstory or depth. So like, just right out the gate, I'm like, yeah, I fucking dislike him. Arsehole. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like, arsehole. like Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Yes, exactly. He, th- this guy is this movie's Walter Peck, 100%. And straight away as well, I was like, oh God, this is that typical, I'm a dude in a position of power, you want to keep your job, right? Kind of set up. And I'm totally. Like, oh, no. Exactly. Kind of feel like we learn all we need to learn about Philip going forward from the first couple of sequences where we meet him. And off the back of that, we get um, a little montage of circus acts. We meet the belly dancers, the fire eater, the strongman, bearded lady. And then we cut to Larry. The human snake charmer. What's that? The human snake charmer. The human snake charmer. <laughs> yes, apparently also a thing. At this point, we cut back to outside Satan's Den where Larry lets in two arsehole children and also... Um, <laughs> A petulant boombox toting man child. Oh my god, uh, this yeah. dude. He don't go nowhere without his tunes. <laughs> <laughs> this whole group are fucking preposterous. Yes, they're and, awful. And that one guy, Merle, that goes missing first, like the guy that wanders off, he looks about hmm. 40. He looks like he's in his fucking 40s. Yeah, I was, like, I, was like, I was like, did you drive the rest of them here? 
<laughs> William Butler not doing his best work here as Merle, I don't think. <laughs> no, he's very over the top, very exaggerated. But yeah, these guys are just such assholes. Like there's, again, in a film like this, there's no room for like, well, maybe they're not. Maybe there's, no, 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 they're fucking assholes. They are assholes, like irredeemably so. Like there's no two ways about it. However, I mean, like this, it does make it very satisfying when, spoiler, they get the comeuppance. Mm. But yeah, at this point, yeah, we, we meet them and yeah, they're all dicks. But I think that at this point, principally, kind of like a dick in chief, if you like, is the guy who is insisting Bobby. on bringing a boombox everywhere he <laughs> goes. Also, yeah, continually refers to the boombox as his tunes. He is painful fucking prick and then also when Merle gives uh, Larry the money he like they walk up as if they're gonna walk in like without paying they all kind of walk in and you're like oh they fucking went in without paying and then Merle like pushes the money into Larry's chest and you're like what a threatening way to hand money over yeah it's like we're so bad we're gonna pay you to come in here <laughs> yeah. that's what shocked me I was like every 80s movie I've watched where they have these arseholes that's what they do they just walk in and be like I'll call the cops no you won't but like he's just like, yeah, here's your money. It's like this feels <laughs> this feels out of character. <laughs> it's like I might be a badass, but I still understand the transactional nature of fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I don't feel like they are particularly operative in the plot until a fair bit later. And at this point, we abruptly shift focus to the arsehole children. I wrote down, uh, the kids are Satan skeptics. I hope they die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, when one of the kids hits that fucking mummy that pops up, why does the mummy, it looks like an animatronic mummy. So why does it say ouch when he hits it? Um, is it a person dressed up as a mummy? Because that how many people work in fucking Satan's Den? I thought it was just Larry, Ned, and Nigel, but for an animatronic mummy to say "ouch" is very advanced. Uh, to be fair, uh, also the kid doesn't react. Like if I take something that I thought was an animatronic mummy and it was like "ah fucker," I'd be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> there's a human being in something. Yeah, there's a person a in there. <laughs> yeah, I know the kids are, as you say. They're maybe not irredeemable assholes like the other guys, but they, they are, are assholes. Oh, yeah, they are. They're not adults yet, guys. Everyone does regrettable shit true. when they're kids. They're not irredeemable That's assholes, true. but they're certainly demonstrably assholes out of the game. <laughs> yeah. They come face to face with the Raculi here, who it seems like his MO is primarily green vomit. Yeah, green goopy vomit. And also, they're just like totally fucking chill when they see him. They're like, oh, it's a rat. And I'm like, that's not yeah. a fucking rat. What rats have you seen? One of them has a shooting and stuff. Yeah, he's a fucking like, throwing star. in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like the size of a dinner plate. I'm very glad that we all wrote that down. Like, um, <laughs> because, like, because, like, yeah, they're just cutting about this hot and house, the two kids, and one of them's like, oh, this is fucking stupid. This is on a remote control. This is whatever. But when they encounter something that's halfway scary, he just whaps out a ninja star from his pocket. <laughs> and the other kid doesn't react at all. He's just like, he's just like, oh, it's just perfectly normal for these, like, nine-year-olds to be cutting about with blade weapons all the time also not freaked out by the fact that what they believe to be an animatronic rat eats the ninja star yeah they're pretty chill about it they're just like oh this is so fucking cool we gotta tell everyone it's like what about your ninja star are you not upset that it's broken like, I al- you know? al- also like say if, again if i threw something uh something that i thought was a robot and it just ate it immediately i'd be like is anyone else shiting themselves <laughs> <laughs> children in the 80s were different mitch they were hardened yeah um, there was no social media to soften them up it was all yeah. just um, yeah it's they, like they it's went like... out with their switchblades and their throwing stairs mm. And yeah, faced off against rat monsters. The only school they graduated from was a school of hard knocks. It's just why they had ninja throwing stars, but also couldn't identify rats from a lineup. (laughs) 
But we do double back to the arseholes that we mentioned earlier who uh, get attacked by the ghoulies. I really enjoyed the instant karma of the boombox getting smashed. Yes, yes, definitely. But then that boombox plays such a massive role in the film <laughs> after this. Like, that boombox becomes a character in its own right. <laughs> Which there is no need to. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. More than Merle. Like, nobody cares for fucking Merle, but they're like, my fucking tunes are in there, man. My I, tunes. But, and yeah, like, yeah, like say, yeah, he shows up and he's like, oh my God, his tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because oh. Merle winds up being left alone in here and is the, the very next to go. He believes a lampoon is on the cards. Alas, it is not. It's ghoulie related <laughs> activity. Yep. <laughs> yep, no lampoon to be found. No, uh, and even that big swinging blade, this is where we find out that the big swinging blade that has no right to be a real blade whatsoever is a real blade. <laughs> Again, this is where I'm convinced there was a cut. Really? Oh, oh yeah. I, okay. Now that you've said that, I feel like I've seen his stomach get sliced open with that. Like I feel like I've seen that before. You're thinking about when this was bareface ripped off in the opening of Saw Five. Yes, <laughs> that could be yes, Dennis. <laughs> Ultimately, all these murders and the horrific events are really paying off because business is booming at Satan's Den. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, yeah. This this is like a surprisingly sustainable business model. I mean, I don't know if it is or the clientele keep dying. Like, I mean, like the repeat trade thing is probably quite limited. Ah, uh, but Mitch, it's a carnival. It moves from town to town. Ah, uh, yes. of course. Like yeah, Jessica yeah. Fletcher. Fucking happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, yeah. <laughs> and weirdly, uh, hard. <laughs> is indescribably irritated by how well business is going at Satan's Den. I think he's just more concerned about the fact that he won't get to open up his mud wrestling emporium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you say, it's a sustainable business model. I mean, like, that truck's going to be halfway to Mexico before the people in that town <laughs> realise all those kids died. <laughs> <laughs> I have met a note, Andy, about that as well, that, like, Harden says, like, I'd like to see the receipts, like, really condescendingly. Sure, yes, yes, and I'm just like, I just wrote the original Karen. Like, Harden is such a Karen. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. Also, it's yeah. like it's, it's a good thing that's happening. Business is booming. It's like, it's like don't be splitting hairs, man. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. like, yeah, as, as Andy said, he doesn't want it to be because he wants his mod wrestling ring. So Just before uh, Meryl meets his end, we do cut outside to the previously skeptical kids who are now amassing a massive group of people to come back. Um, and they're telling them all about what happened with the rats and everything um, inside Satan's Den. There's quite a lot of very noticeable ADR in this film. Well, I think a lot of the people, the extras specifically in it, will be Italian it was filmed in Italy. Right, okay. Uh, I mean, like, yes. I do love in the middle of, like, when you hear the kind of, like, excited hubbub of the crowd, <laughs> there's just, like, one guy who goes, rats, no kidding, I love that stuff. <laughs> the guy goes, and a woman goes, uh, ooh, isn't that clever? <laughs> True showman mugging it off for the crowd. Oh, yeah, they're loving it. I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about this as well, is that, like, I think that any time we see the ghoulies just fucking around with stuff, it's a lot of fun. It's really enjoyable. Mm. Because the ghoulies actually, they have nothing to do in the first film. Like, really, they have no impact on the first film at all. They're just there. They just kind of hang about that guy that conjures them. True. Like, it's, yeah, it's sure. a very boring film. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the death of Meryl here. Because this was the point where I wrote that the ghoulies are surprisingly handy with that melee weapon. <laughs> mm, yeah. Because he does get stabbed in the leg and then tied to a torture rack. But it's a good sequence. I like it a lot. And then mummified. Yeah. Uh, and then, yes, laterally mummified. You're right. <laughs> For such small creatures, they're pretty quick. I need to just point out that high five when the people come in and are like, "Woo, yeah, good job!" When they're like mummifying Myrtle, and the two ghoulies oh, yeah. just jump up and high five each other. I lost my shit watching it again. I was like, "This is fucking gold." There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of incredibly satisfying things like that. I think. <laughs> Um, just like little touches I mentioned it just briefly earlier but like I kind of get a fit of the giggles every time that a ghoulie is on screen in this 
Same. <laughs> 100%. And I will say that for me, the cat ghoulie is my favorite ghoulie, hands down. Changed my mind. Mm-hmm. He, to me, has the, the most personality. I just, yeah, I find him fucking hilarious. Every time that ghoulies are on screen just playing with shit, messing with stuff, attacking people, whatever they're doing, I'm laughing. I'm just having a blast. Sure, absolutely. No, completely agree. <laughs> Cut away briefly from uh, the chaos for Philip trying to seduce Nicole here. Um, they had for uh, trailer. This also seems like, based on what we see here, it's kind of working for Philip. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's like the it's like the the love story arc that no one asked for. Yeah, but I, I really like when they go to Nigel's trailer only oh, to find that yeah. everything's made for uh, Nigel being a little dwarf. <laughs> I do love that too. <laughs> I definitely think her ethics are kind of questionable. The way that they smile and laugh at each other in that scene is just really gross to me. Um, I think that Harden is the real fucking ghoulie of this movie. If I'm being honest. <laughs> By the way, this is the moment as well where Chekhov's trapeze artist is seated. <laughs> Yes, yes it is. Yeah, as the old saying goes. Don't introduce a trapeze artist in the second act. <laughs> Doesn't scale a Ferris wheel in act three. 100%. Uh, exactly. Classics. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a trope uh, that I'm a bit fed up of, to be honest. <laughs> it happens a lot, yeah. yeah. Especially in 80s movies. Larry is understandably dubious about Nicole and Philip's relationship, which we'll get to. But um, mm. uh, just before this, I mean, like, Boombox Arsehole, who is like, just what he became in my notes at this point, uh, becomes like a surprisingly consistent antagonist at this point. I just assumed that I was just going to supposed to be finding him annoying for a bit. Um, <laughs> as opposed to being like, I'm going to shut you down. Nobody takes away my tunes. <laughs> I was like, this guy is still here. See, this is what I mean. He's brought the police to find his Boombox while his friend is an afterthought. Yeah. absolutely yeah yeah yeah. i would like like the, the policeman you know this would be like mate there are 300 unsolved murders in this town also like <laughs> also we see harden giving the most fucking obvious bribe he's just like four feet away from everybody and just hands your man a bunch of money and the cop is like yeah there's nobody in there let's get out of here <laughs> like, jesus well i don't know about you guys but i think i've seen enough <laughs> yeah, this all seems above board <laughs> And thus we solved another crime. (laughs) (laughs) Bake him away, toys. (laughs) Philip is ready to get rid of Satan's den. Uh, We're we're kind of very sternly reminded that Philip is the person that we're supposed to hate. It's amazing how quickly it feels like we're pulling in towards not necessarily the final standoff here, but we're very much in third act territory at this point. We have an exchange between Larry and Nigel. They're recentering. They're talking about the nature of this threat the gooey threat and uh, the crowd is still descending on Satan's Den at this point um, I quite like the sequence I quite like the fact that you just see a little bit more of a dimension to both uh, Larry but especially Nigel also at this point is Ned dead Paddy you're right Ned has Whoa. Ned has died at this point because yeah when the cops turn up then like they're like there's nobody in there and then it's like ah! <laughs> it's like oh shit there is uh, we should probably go to check it out it's like oh yeah hang on a minute no 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 there's this one dead guy though Um, again i found uh ned's death kind of tragic because he really thinks that he's going to be able to like dispel these monsters and stuff and they just they toy with him it's the first time i think you see the ghoulies really like they're they don't just swarm in and kill him they're just hanging back being like yeah go on try your little fucking magic spell go on try it and they just fucking play with him and then kill him. It's pretty It's pretty nasty, actually. I agree. Like, it's like a surprisingly kind of like mean-spirited thing in general, I think, actually, for the rest of the film. Laddie is assembling um, a carny army at this <laughs> point <laughs> um, to face off against the ghoulies, who are obviously now rising up to be the kind of central villain of the piece. Also, I mean, like Laddie is also determined to stop people entering Satan's den, understandably, because people are dying. Philip resists in the name of capitalism. Yes. Sure. He's like, shut your noise, let them in. Yeah. At this point, full-blown chaos descends on the third act of this film for a little while. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
It sure does. <laughs> the, the ghoulies are running riot through the carnival. Not quite yet, because we have the punk kids return. Yes, yeah. Yes, they do, you're right. And the, I guess the, the kind of main thrust of this fight takes place inside Satan's den proper. Before and it then, breaks out into the carnival, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because Larry and Philip get involved in a kind of melee between the two of them, and a shotgun is discharged through the wall, <laughs> which allows the ghoulies... I don't know why they didn't go out the front door anytime they wanted, but it certainly allows them egress into the carnival proper. Sure. I, I also love that uh, Harden shouts, $1,000 to any man who brings me one alive. It's so fucking... <laughs> like, <laughs> it's such a stereotypical capitalist ticket. It's like, look, we found real demons. I want one to use it to make money. Okay? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I tell you... I tell you, I wouldn't be going for the cat one because he's he's always got a flick knife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody else's first thoughts is like, oh shit, demons. And Harrington's is like, I wonder how much money I can make off these demons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, at this point, yeah, we get, we get like, what I think is a pretty fun, if fairly long, montage of the ghoulies running right through the carnival. I think like, w- <laughs> would it full-blown like pay off for the things that we've been seeded kind of visually um, at this point? Um, I've just, I've, I've frantically written ghoulie dunking pool arm removal. Oh, wow, yep, yeah, um, the poor salty clown. Mm-hmm. And then we've got when uh, the cat gremlin climbs inside that <laughs> boxing glove and flies through the air and punches that guy. Something I just noticed was that dude seems a lot older than the girl he's with. Um, <laughs> like, noticeably, considerably, as you say, maybe this is just Italian extras and it was the best they could get. But pa- I was pa- like, Paddy, that was a granddad. <laughs> I thought that I genuinely did when they first rocked up and then when he was like yeah come on baby I was like if he is her granddad this is fucking some dark shit um, uh, the toad ghoulie he's on the dodgems yeah runs a fucking girl over on the fucking bumper cars which is again pretty fucking nuts backs over I think as well yeah for safety which I respect <laughs> Um, I, I love all this shit. I love all the carnival riot stuff. It reminds me of Gremlins again, mm-hmm. and I just have so much fun with it. Sure. It's, it's just ludicrous. Yeah, definitely. Nigel here suggesting that the only appropriate course of action is to invoke magic. Yeah, hot take, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, especially when he says it was magic brought them here, It'll ma- it's magic that would send them back. And I'm like, no, you don't have all the facts. Fake news. Fucking Ned did not summon them. They were dropped in a vat of solvent and crawled into your truck. That's all. Like, magic had nothing to do with this um, in this film. Uh, and they don't know the events of the previous film, so, you know, they shouldn't know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I can't so fight your logic there. Actually, there's no reason whatsoever to believe that reading from Ned's little book of spells is going to be in any way effective. No reason at all. <laughs> yeah, no, like, see, 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 when he's like, oh, um, guns and knives haven't worked, what we need to try is spells, I would definitely be like, would you wind your fucking neck in? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just quickly talk about the scene where Harden kind of watches the carnage unfold, and he, he he's kind of at his wit's end at this point. He knows he's done, he knows he's fucked, he knows this is probably going to cost them a lot of money. <laughs> And for some reason, he heads to the toilet, locks himself in the toilet. And I don't know why at this moment. I don't know if it's like, you know when you get pre-gig nerves and you I, feel like you need to take a dump? I know where you're going with this. Like, it's, it's why does he take a shit? Like, I don't know why in the midst of this carnage, he feels the need to do a shit. 
I think I read about this that like basically they shot the whole movie and then they mm, saw yeah. that there was still a lot of backlash about in the first film there was nothing to do with the toilet and apparently this was like a reshoot or an edit thing. Uh, like, okay. okay. I think knowing that makes this way, make way more sense because like there's no reason for the fish ghoulie to be lurking in that toilet in the first place. Yeah, when we've just seen him in the swimming pool killing a clown. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he's like, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lurk in a fucking, t- in a bog. Like, that's what I'm going to do now. It definitely feels like a reshoot that's been shoehorned in. I do also think that when Harden sees all the carnage going on, I love that he puts on his fucking aviators at night, adding and adding just <laughs> onto that dickheadness. It just keeps growing, even at this stage of the movie, and then goes to the that decks. That is a disguise. <laughs> it is. It's to look like a dickhead. <laughs> I think he had that down. I will infiltrate them disguised as a dickhead. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that ultimately how this resolves itself is that the incantations just kind of work. Yeah, again, just going back to what I said a minute ago, it's complete coincidence and happenstance that this incantation that they read happens to summon an absolutely giant man-sized ghoulie. It really does, especially with the fact that Nigel says three different versions of the fucking incantation, which I noticed. He says Giganticus Demon, Dimwan, then he says Giganticus Demonicus, and then he says something else the third time, and I'm, but like, each time he's supposed to be starting it from the start, and I'm like, yeah, no wonder this fucking spell didn't go the way it was supposed to. You said this different <laughs> shit every time. Klaatu Varata. <laughs> he's making it up, man. I, I reckon Phil Fondacaro was just like, okay, there isn't even fucking dialogue for this. I just have to spitball it. <laughs> and also, I was so confused by this when I, when I first saw it, and again today, that when that big ghoulie comes up out of the ground, I was like, oh, that's the fish ghoulie. So he's just made the fish ghoulie big. And then I realised that, like, that's not the case. It's just, I don't fucking understand why it looks so like the fish ghoulie. Unless they were originally meant to have the fish ghoulie transform into that. And then when they added the bathroom thing, that got removed. I don't know. Maybe the fish ghoulie, because it was on, it's front and centre on all the marketing. Maybe they were under the impression that the fish ghoulie was the one that people responded to the most. So they were like, let's rinse this fucker. Let's get a man in a, go- <laughs> in a ghoulie suit. I think that when you see the suit face on and you can see the blinking eyes and stuff, it looks okay. But the second you see it from the side or the back, it looks fucking awful. I would admit that myself. And I, I feel bad again because, like, you know how much work goes into these things. But at the same time, Absolutely. it just was not a great idea. Although I do enjoy watching him go around and the different ways he kills the ghoulies, I think, is a lot of fun. Sure. It's not, there's no different ways to it, really. He eats them all except for one of them, I believe. The rat. The rat, he who is, the rat yeah. Yeah, he's clobbered with a test of strength hammer. <laughs> That's and exactly how that plays out, yep. Mm-hmm. But I do also love that like the cat one is just there shooting like stuff and next thing he's just like, oh, I hear something and turns around and he just gets munched. The toad one made doubly delicious because he's hiding <laughs> in the popcorn. Yep, fact. Uh, the bat one just gets snatched out of the air, right? Uh, but yeah, fuck him. Fuck yeah, that guy. Shit ghoulie. This is such a bizarre ending. I will be the first to say it, right? I love this movie and I think it's so much fun and all the rest of it. But, like, when that big ghoulie emerges, while I enjoyed the moments where he kills the other ghoulies, after that, I'm just like, where are we going with this? Like, what's happening? Well, ultimately, where it goes from here is that because Phil Fondacaro's character is small, the giant ghoulie <laughs> believes that he is also a ghoulie. 
True. Believes that he is on a physical, in terms of physical stature, is on the same level as a ghoulie. <laughs> um, and decides that he will be next in line to be eaten. Sure. <clears throat> yep. Which I think is a bit, I don't know, it seems a bit <laughs> weird. It's, it's also weird that this big ghoulie's diet is exclusively other small ghoulies. That it doesn't mm. want to kill or eat humans. It's just like, hi, is that another fucking ghoulie? Come here. Come here, pass that over to me there, would you? Just <laughs> eating ghoulies like I eat ginger nuts. <laughs> 100% burning through that shit like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> and as you say, I think we were definitely, uh, I hate to use the words, but I feel like we were in a different time where it was like, yeah, yeah, he's he's a dwarf, so he would be like a ghoulie, and it was kind of accepted in the narrative. There was a few moments, actually, where I was like, oh. Like, there's the moment where Larry kind of has a, a bit of a meltdown. At, oh, at and he calls him a hobgoblin. And, yeah, he calls him a hobgoblin and <sighs> says, is there like a dwarf a union or something you're yeah. going to report me to? I was like, oh, Larry. Oh, yeah, man. I will say that one. I do like when they're coming down the steps and they're having a bit of banter and they're like a wee bit oh, wee, yeah. a small bit small, you know. Like yeah. I was kind of like tiny that. Tiny bit felt, tiny. Yeah, a tiny bit tiny. I felt like that was playful and kind of nice, but I felt like there was a lot of moments where yeah, there was these questions. I think Harden says something to him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, quite nasty. I think it's, it's it's probably fair to give the weirdness of that a little bit of airspace. Yeah, fair, fair, true. Yeah, I kind of think that like the third act of this is simultaneously like very fun and also an absolute nightmare because like because <laughs> like I say, there's a, there's a chaotic element to it that I think ultimately kind of like eclipses any problems that I have with it. Really, the fact that the ending is as you said earlier on, Andy, I think it's like it's very fortuitous in that like it's like oh <laughs> let's try an incantation. That was fortunate. Literally, the first thing we tried worked. Like, um, but at the same time, I don't think that that should take away from the fact that yeah, the closing like 20, 25 minutes of this or something are an absolute riot. Uh, I was sitting back being like, hmm, I'm not certain that this would uh, stand up to scrutiny. Doesn't fucking matter. No, but, I get you. Uh, it's funny that they're like, we use the book to get rid of the ghoulies, then the ghoulie summons a big ghoulie, and then they're like, oh fuck, what are we gonna do now? Molotov cocktail. Fuck <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> We've tried guns, we've tried bullets, we've tried magic. Okay, Molotov cocktail it is. They fill, they fill a dwarf's <laughs> costume with Molotov cocktails and feed it to the ghoulie. It's incredible. And that shot where it explodes, I legit die laughing every time I see it. That shitty zoom in that it does, like the cut zoom in. That's very, very funny indeed. I, just I fucking piss myself. Where do you turn when magic fails you? Molotov cocktails. <laughs> exactly the ghoulie's face like when he's like Arr. he's like scoffing down that suit and then he, he's like oh munch munch oh indigestion, indigestion. and then he gets this kind of dawning realisation he's like oh, fuck, fuck. <laughs> I do think that it's so funny though that yeah like the whole third act of this seems to be about we need to use magic to defeat this thing and then it just in the last five minutes goes ah you know what fuck magic just blow it up (laughs) also i think it's quite clear that you can kill them via other means because that big ghoulie smashes that rat one to fucking bits with that hammer nobody even fucking tried they just were like oh run (laughs) these tiny (laughs) creatures are killing everyone get out of here did you try kicking them? Did you try shooting them? <laughs> <laughs> Did you try putting them in a bin and sitting on the bin until the authorities came? <laughs> Fuck! So many things we, we just missed out on. A Dolph Lundgren cop turns up. The, the cop from outside fucking Satan's Den who looks like a knockoff Dolph Lundgren. Mm-hmm. Could have just waited for him to arrive with his shotgun. Alas, we just get an explosion. Yeah, it's hilarious. But yeah, ultimately, head ghoulie, kind of like the main ghoulie that was summoned is destroyed. Epilogue, pretty simple stuff really here. Nicole leaves for the big city to pursue her non-specific dreams of stardom with Laddie. 
everyone is basically fine. Obviously, we get a little, uh, a little Ned's stinger. Ned's not. <laughs> oh, Ned's not. No, he's dead. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. <laughs> everyone that didn't die, mostly fine. But yeah, <laughs> Nicole and Larry head off um, in an unspecified direction to follow their dreams of superstardom. We hear a rumbling from a nearby outhouse. Porta potty, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Just enough to let you know that there are some ghoulie stragglers who may appear in um, Ghoulies 3 Ghoulies Go to College. Which is absolutely <laughs> fucking great. It's fucking hilarious. As I say, I'm fully aware. This is a little bit like my feelings on the Silent Hill series. I have one that I know is the best and also one that's my favourite. Sure. And it's the same here. Okay. I know Ghoulies Goes to College is the best of these realistically but i just love this one personally i mean i feel like the way that we've spoken about ghoulies one here and the way we've spoken about the subsequent entries in the franchise is that i feel like i may watch the later ones before i watch the original don't ever watch you, four. there is no need never to watch, watch four. four. Oh wow no. wow okay never. that's overwhelming uh that's overwhelming <laughs> consensus just there like jesus christ that was like i was about to walk in front of a car <laughs> but no it's the film equivalent. It's the film equivalent to walking in front of a car. Yeah, with that, we are out on Ghoulies 2. Paddy, interesting choice, this one. I'm fascinated by the fact that you had this in your mind and then sat on it for 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and, Really? Like, After watching it? You're 100%, so 100% unwavering in your commitment to this being the one that you were going to do when the chance arose. I respect that, and I had a good time with this film. The practical effects, like you say, there's like you know you can see the seams on the budget a little bit, but I think mm. that it fits the tone of it perfectly. I think that like there's there's not a minute of this that feels out like of place, and I think that like and there's no True. there's no element of seeing the seams on it that feels like it detracts from anything. It doesn't pull you out of anything. I think that what you're watching is already sufficiently kind of capery and silly and fun that yeah. it complements that in a nice way i think there's a lot to be said for that i've got a lot of time for this i had a really good time with it i've, I've got to say that the, the cat and the rat ghoulies are so janky looking oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they look like they're falling apart the cat looks like a meth addict like he looks fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> they'd look like they'd, they'd fit better and meet the feebles <laughs> <laughs> but i think to answer your question on why i stuck with this so much though i mm -hmm. think i feel like the people of around my age and, and Andy's age that grew up on hire and going to the video store and picking up stuff at the weekends I think this was a staple for a lot of people because it was also kind of one that your parents would not really give two shits about because it, it is so silly yeah, and sure. so fucking ridiculous and there isn't boobs and tits all over it it's just like it is as I say in a weird way it feels like more of a kids horror film I just think that there's something about this that like if I was to sit down tomorrow and be like what do I want to show Piper who's now hitting the age I was when I saw this I think she'd have a blast with this because it is so fucking ridiculous. Aha, uh -huh, sure. Yeah. And and likewise, I also think that, as I say, a lot of people in that kind of between 30 and 40 who grew up on horror films, this was just one that was all, it was like a staple rental because it was just a lot of fun. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Agreed. Definitely. Andy? I actually enjoyed it just as much as I always have. <laughs> uh, it's, it is what it is. It, it doesn't claim to be high art. It doesn't want to be high art. It is what it is. As far as little monster films go, I think it's still eclipsed by Gremlins and Critters. But you know, it's there. It's in the in the argument of films that have a sequel better than the original. Ghoulies Two is always going to be mentioned by me because it's considerably better. I, I had a great time with with Ghoulies Two watching this again. So uh, yeah, thank you, Paddy, for for picking Ghoulies Two. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long time, but it was, it was nice to go back to it. And uh, I, I need to figure out what was going on because, like I say, I thought it was I thought it was Goriel. I'm curious on that too because when you said about the swinging blade i like got like a ptsd flashback of like oh no wait i mm. definitely saw that blade slice the dude's stomach open so yeah, yeah. do more damage um, 
I'd be yeah. curious. You know what? Our listeners are incredibly well up on this kind of thing. I think if there if there is a nuance to this, there'll be somebody out there that knows. Paddy, the last time that we talked to you on the show, we were just a few weeks shy of the perished premiering at Fright Fest in 2019. And we can talk about it now. We've talked about it a little bit on the show as well. I was in the room for that screening. Yes, indeed, you were. You did a great thing with that film. I think that, for one thing, I, I just I thought the film was great, but also I think that when when you told us, and then also when it was kind of announced what you like the film that you were making and the story that you were telling, I don't mind telling you that I like took a step back from it and I was like, "Fuck, I hope he knows what he's doing." <laughs> Paddy seems like the right guy to tell this story. Um, but like, um, but I mean, uh, I don't like I don't mind telling you, and, and uh, we've talked about it before. I I think the Paris is great. One of my favorite moments at that screening was um, I I know you well enough, Mitch. Me and Andy have even spoken about this slightly that. Like, I know you well enough that if if you dislike something, you will either just be very brutal and straightforward about it and say, yeah, look, I didn't fucking like it. This is what I didn't like. Or you will just avoid <laughs> making eye contact <laughs> and having to to discuss. What, I, what blew my mind was when I came out of the screening, I came down the steps of the Prince Charles and you were at the bottom and you were like, I wanted to stick around to tell you, like, I really, 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 really thought that was really good. And that I was like... Oh my fucking god! Like Mitch would not do that if he didn't think it was good. Like him sticking around and saying that tells me that he actually fucking I hate to use the word enjoy, but he appreciated this movie. Like, and that was a very big moment for me. I, I don't mind telling you, Patty. Like honestly, if I hadn't liked it, my silence would have been fucking deafening. I know, right? <laughs> That's what I mean. Um, like I was, <laughs> I was fully expected to come to the bottom of those steps and just see a note like, yeah, like don't call. Um, uh, no, I mean, um, I, I, like, uh, like I thought it was great, Andy. You've always caught. Up with it since as well yeah. like we're big fans of the film here but also the story of the perish from then on has been great it's obviously seen a really great release yeah, yeah man it's been really amazing to see the the journey the film's been on and it's absolutely deserved man thank you so much it's it's been a, it's been awesome it, it had a good festival run it wasn't like a million stops or anything but it hit the festivals that i really wanted to hit with it yeah. i mean it had hierathon here in ireland which was a big one for me because I was also the, the screening I was most terrified at because I was like, how the fuck are Irish people going to respond to this movie? Sure. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But at the same time, from Joey Kyo's reaction at Fright Fest and her review, I had a good indication of like, okay, if, if there's a lot more progressive people, Irish people like Joey Kyo, this film will do all right. But Mitch yeah, was sat beside that, I believe. Yes. And uh, my friend Martin Nee turned to Joey Kyo and said, I recognize you from Strong Language Violent Scenes and didn't recognize Mitch's <laughs> Yeah, she was, like, she, she, she was like, yeah, it's his podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, was the first, that was the first day I ever met Joey. That was lovely. Yeah, like um, we watched it and then we both talked about how much we'd enjoyed it. It's been amazing. And then the Horror Collective picked up the film. We had our US premiere, Panic Fest, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, it was probably one of my favorite screenings I've ever been at. It was just, and again, overwhelming response. And then it's gone out in the US via Horror Collective on every VOD platform imaginable. It's on iTunes, Amazon, DirecTV, all that stuff. Amazing. But now the next step is the thing that matters to me is trying to get a good UK release. Sure. Uh, UK sure. and Ireland yeah. release. I will say that it's looking like when theaters reopen here, there's a chance that we might get a limited local run. Fantastic. Because they won't have a lot of content because uh, of, you know, releases being pushed and stuff. Yeah. That's it, Paddy. Exploit it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I'm, uh, like, pre- pre- previous guests of ours now have a film that was the number one movie for, like, six weeks in a row. The Wretched. Uh, the Red- Man, yeah, yeah. The Wretched. Yeah, Brett and Drew yeah. Pierce. And I mean, like, I mean, that's a great movie, but also it's really fucking cool that that's the thing that happens. So, yeah, like, if you're in a situation where you can use this to your advantage, I say go for it. Yeah, exactly. It's I, We were supposed to just be having a one-night hometown premiere, which got delayed because it was supposed to be Friday the 13th 
15th of March. And then obviously the 15th of March, our whole country went into lockdown. So uh, by the Friday, we all knew that screening wasn't going to be happening. But uh, speaking to the cinema since I've been like, you know, when you do reopen, what are the possibilities of having like a limited run? And they were like, oh, but yeah, fucking let's talk about it for sure. Um, which would be great just for the, the cast and stuff that, you know, again, it'll probably be limited seating, you know, 50 people. Sure. Um, so it'd be great that everybody can kind of go at their own leisure and check it out instead of having to do the big, we all turn up, sure. you know. But it's it's been it's been a crazy ride with The Perished. I'm not ashamed to say that at the start of quarantine, I had fallen into a place that Andy, me and you have talked about this kind of stuff a lot in the past couple of years where I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this kind of stuff anymore. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of coming out of that. I've been in that kind yeah. of feeling for a long time okay. and it, it's, it's it's horrible for a, someone who is quite creative to feel that way. Yeah, and it's I think it's unavoidable, unfortunately. I think everybody hits those moments um, and it can come... I think it usually comes off the back of one of your, of your biggest success. Like you do something really big and then you kind of... I think you set your own expectations of what you should do next and then you, you end up disappointed with whatever comes next instead of just being like, yeah. oh, wait, I love doing this because I get to go out and make movies with my friends and that's what matters. I'm starting to come out of that because looking at kind of lockdown being lifted here, I'm like already start Well, not lifted, but relaxing. I am looking at like a couple of shorts that I want to do. I've started talking to the guys and very much am thinking about ways of doing shorts that can be shot socially distanced. One is very much a Celtic warrior story. Um, a short okay. that would be about a Celtic warrior. And definitely, I'm not gonna, I'm not even ashamed to admit my influence is definitely inspired by The Headhunter, which I thought was fucking phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Again, it was like, okay, that would be a cast of two or three people in a big fucking barren outdoors wilderness in Ireland. You know, you can do that as a socially distant shoot. Um, but for features, I'm taking it slow now at the moment and taking my foot off the gas for a bit and enjoying what I'm doing on the YouTube channel. Ah, that's an interesting segue. Very well done. Segue, yes, very good. So, uh, Paddy, you did mention earlier that during lockdown you had a problem with uh, staying still. So, um, you did kick off Let's Survive, Paddy Plays. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I, I'm so happy I did as well. Um, just at the point where I was unsure about my film stuff and what I was going to do moving forward, I just I, a, fr- a friend of mine uh, from Frightfest, uh, Samantha Elliott Brody, suggested to me yeah. back. Yeah, Sam, like back in October, she suggested, why don't you do a YouTube channel or streaming or something like that? And I thought it was fucking preposterous. I was like, who would want to watch me play fucking video games? Are you serious? I don't even want to watch me play video games. (laughs) I thought about it. I filmed like a little test one. Didn't like it. Was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then, yeah, as soon as we did lockdown and the film stuff was up in the air, I was like, fuck it. I've got nothing else to do. I'll try this and keep my editing skills fresh. I'll just mm. be talking about horror games, which is outside of films. It's my my other big love. So it was like, yeah, let's fucking do it. We're coming up on 300 subscribers in just under three months. Pretty good. My favorite thing about it has been Let's Survive Interviews, which is just a interview format. I've gotten to speak to some amazing people. Like I spoke to Larry Fessenden and Graham Resnick. Thank um, you. <laughs> don't worry we're getting to you <laughs> uh, Larry and Graham Steve Palmer who's the voice of Bill Williamson and Red Dead Andy Stewart of Strong Language and Violent Scenes uh, I loved having you on again like because we just gushed about horror games and that's what for me what Very this much. whole thing was yeah. about and it's cool because it's been a mixture of industry people and just other people that I know who are fans or who are also content creators but not necessarily horror games so yeah it's been fun I've loved it Right. Theme song's pretty good as well. Oh shit, god damn it, there's always something. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. 
And then, of course, uh, the theme song was uh, designed by you, Mitch, of Strong Language Violence Scenes. You did an amazing job with it, considering the nonsense brief I gave you of just like, yeah, something kind of synthy and like, yeah, cool, thanks. Which is of no use to fucking anyone. Um, but you came back with, it was like, that's exactly what I had in my head, even though I didn't communicate anything to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've, taken worse, I've, I've, I've taken worse briefs in my time, like 100%, definitely no. Um, Patty, it has been amazing to have you back. It's awesome. All I dreamed and more. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you, both of you, in fact, for being so cool with rescheduling in light of my recent malady. Ah, we got there in the end, man. You're fine. You're fine. Having seen the picture of it, I, I wanted to cancel for the week as well. I was like, I, I, I don't want to be talking to somebody that has that sticking out of their knee. I kind of I <laughs> I feel like that photo needs shared. I think that after this episode comes out, I think that people are going to want to, <laughs> like, you know, like there's going to be a genuine baseline public curiosity about what your knee looked like. Um, oh my God. Uh, Paddy, you want to take a minute disturbing. to plug the channels? Let um, everybody know where they can keep up with you um as an individual and all the various kind of like and all the kind of branches of the paddy dynasty <laughs> the paddy tree uh for myself the main place you'll probably find me because i'm weaning myself off facebook in a big way because i'm sick to death of it why is um, yeah, it sucks uh you will find me mainly on twitter at paddy bass uh that's b-a-s-s like the guitar not the fish um but also spelled the same as the fish unfortunately if you want to find out about the movie stuff that we do if you just head to www.celticbadgermedia.com that has all the stuff about the films and all the offshoots of social media and stuff. And then for Let's Survive, I would say the best thing to do is head to youtube.com forward slash Let's Survive Paddy Plays. And then again, you'll be able to branch off to all the other channels for that from there. Um, I will say that I'm doing Twitch streaming on a Tuesday and Thursday. That's been a hell of a lot of fun. It's just great crack to watch people. Yeah, yeah I've, I've dived on a few. I've come yes, on and, and watched did. a few. So uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a peek. <laughs> it's, it's just great. Although... Hey, people criticise my accents, Paddy, I've got to say. Some of your accents are fucking shocking. Oh, man, have you heard? Like, me trying to do a Scottish accent is disgusting. I've stopped doing it. I'm like, that's no. Just when I, that, that's just when I, I, I go, right, well, I've had enough of watching this for today. Time to go and watch something more unpleasant. And that's yeah. plenty. <laughs> Yeah, That's there's actually enough now, of you. <laughs> there's actually now uh, a, a little reward thing on the channel where you can request that I do a specific accent. Um, oh, wow. But it says Paddy will attempt to do a specific accent because I, I don't do them well. That's the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paddy, thanks so much. Oh, Paddy, thank you, mate. You know what? I knew having Paddy back would be nice. I wasn't ready for it to be that nice. It's just dead easy. And, and as much as I love having people that we don't know on the show and making new friends through doing this, uh, it's nice to have a friend on the show. Do you know what I mean? Like who we already have kind of long relationship with. Yeah, a little bit of chemistry with. It's nice to know that you can just sit down and you just know that something's going to be fun. A big thank you to Paddy Murphy, director of The Perished and of course the man behind Let's Survive Paddy Plays for joining us this week to talk Ghoulies 2. But I guess for another one, we're done. Yes, yes. I will try not to hurt myself and we can get things back on an even keel. That'd be lovely. Um, All things being equal, we will be back on Monday with Minnesota 112, the 
numbers are out of sequence now, but I'm pretty sure it's 112. Um, we'll be doing all the usual stuff on there. I will dig out a 90s film to watch by then. Hopefully, it will be better than Gus Van Sant's Psycho. We'll be talking about the other things that we have been watching. We'll be playing Mitch's Pitches, taking a look at your feedback, and we'll let you know everything that you need to know about next week's episode, which will, once again, be a cracker. Can't wait. And in the meantime, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, there are multiple platforms, ever-expanding amount of platforms that you can do that on. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com and interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Judd Locker. And if you're listening for the first time, or even you've been listening since day one, and you think, do you know what? I like what these guys do. I like that they keep doing it, and I like that they do it so often. I want to support them a little bit. We do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Violent Scenes. Go and have a look. We've got some cool tiers there, some cool stuff available. There's already some Patreon exclusive content out there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you feel like contributing at all, that would be absolutely amazing. If you want more of us in your life, that's how you get it. Yeah. Whether you've got some loose chains kicking around or you're an eccentric billionaire, we welcome everyone. <laughs> we will, in the meantime, of course, be back on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>